This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. I see here. I thank you for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to attend our 40th anniversary celebration. Um, I think you're going to have a, a great day and, and get a lot out of this. Um, you know, um, we're, we're celebrating 40 years of, of uh, the computer science department, and uh, while my interaction with it is a little bit shorter than that, I think it was 40 years old when it was founded, um, you know, I found it to be a very uh, unique and special place. Um, partly because of the field. Um, it's hard to find a field like computer science uh, that is as pervasive to our life. Almost everything we do involves computers in some way. Um, you know, much of commerce today is carried out on the web. Um, businesses rely on computers uh, for almost all of their operations. A lot of the productivity gains in the last few decades have been due to the application of information technology to business. Um, our entertainment centers around computers, not just video games, but modern movie making um, is based heavily on computer graphics, um, including much of the work of our own faculty. Um, and all types of products have computers, you know, central to them. And I think one thing that, that distinguishes computer science, I was having this discussion with some other department chairs in, in the School of Engineering, and they said, well, you know, everything is made of materials. Um, and the difference is that while everything is made of materials, um, those materials tend to be mature. The materials in your car or your house haven't changed a lot in the last 20 years. Whereas everything has computers in it, and you see things in your daily life that are enabled by research that has happened at places like Stanford in the last five or ten years. So it, it's not just that computers are pervasive, but the impact of computer science research is pervasive. It's changing our lives on a daily basis. One real test of this is when you talk to the top executives at auto manufacturers or aircraft manufacturers, the highest priority on their list of people to recruit is not mechanical engineers or aerospace engineers, but software engineers, because that's how they differentiate their products. That's where the innovation is in those products. Um, we've, uh, in addition to being a very exciting field, the department itself is, is an exciting place because of the people. That's really what a department is. Um, both the faculty and students are just absolutely exceptional people. I always feel extremely humbled every time I meet with one of them and they tell me um, the great things that they're doing. Um, and the technology that they're developing that is in many ways shaping the world of computing. Um, today we're going to sort of take a, a retrospective look at that uh, technology and look at what the department has done, you know, from, you know, inventing the protocols that the internet is based on to public uh, key cryptography, all the way forward to more recent events such as uh, um, Sebastian Thrun's robot car Stanley winning the DARPA Grand Challenge um, last year. Um, we expect these innovations to continue because we've got just an absolutely stellar um, bunch of faculty and, and a uh, very bright group of students that works with them. And the you know, track record of innovations and successes in Stanford computer science is, if anything, increasing over time. So we're not resting on our laurels, but building um, bigger laurels to come. Um, before diving into the program, let me take a few minutes to thank a number of people who made this event possible. Um, this event is being put on by the Stanford uh, Computer Forum, the director, uh, John Mitchell, um, is in the back there. Um, the uh, um, uh, executive director of the forum, Suzanne Biggis, is around here somewhere, and her staff, Connie and Jillian, have just done an exceptional job of arranging all the logistics uh, for the forum. Everything has been going extremely smoothly. Um, and the program chairs uh, for the event are Hector Garcia Molina and Ed Feigenbaum, both of whom are over at this end um, of the room. Um, they have put together a, um, a great program for you that celebrates the rich history of the department, 
and it looks not just back as we will in our first session, but forward as we will in the early afternoon when we have some current faculty uh, predict what's gonna happen in the future of computer science. Um, we also look both inside having a bunch of faculty in the department speak and outside having many of our distinguished alumni, both from the academic world and, and from the business world, um, give you their perspective on things. And we look both on the academic and, and business side of things. But let me uh, introduce Hector then and he can um, get started with the first session. Thanks, Bill. Um, uh, welcome, everybody. It's a pleasure to welcome all our alums and friends, uh, and also all the members of the uh, Computer Forum that's sponsored by our department and also by the Computer Systems Lab, uh, which is also jointly uh, with uh, the Electrical Engineering Department. So uh, welcome to everybody. Uh, it was a real pleasure for Ed and myself to organize the program for this event. Um, but I have to tell you, it's very hard. We have so many distinguished alums that we would have loved to uh, have speak today that it was very hard to just select the very few uh, samples that you'll hear today. But believe me, there are a lot more uh, very distinguished alums that we just couldn't, uh, couldn't invite. So the program today is roughly gonna be uh, four sessions. The first one is gonna be sort of retrospective, looking back at the, what happened in the department and what the important events that shaped it. Um, then we're gonna have a session with uh, our distinguished uh, alums, academic alums, that are gonna talk about the future of the field and what lies ahead, what are the challenges. Uh, then after lunch, we're gonna have a session with our own faculty also looking at the future and what the challenges are ahead. Uh, the fourth session in the afternoon is a session with our uh, alums that, that uh, went off and did well in the business world, in startups. Uh, so we're gonna have uh, John Markoff, who's a reporter for the New York Times, asking them some questions and leading a discussion uh, with them. And then to close, uh, John Hennessy, who I saw here earlier today, our university president and a member of our department, is gonna give a closing uh, talk. Uh, and then after that, there'll be a reception. So that's basically the program. Uh, and let's just go ahead and, and get started with our first uh, retrospective panel. Uh, so uh, let me introduce uh, Bill Miller, Professor Bill Miller, who's gonna be the moderator for the panel. Uh, Bill is a very distinguished uh, member of our department and also the Graduate School of Business. Uh, he was our provost. Uh, you can see his uh, CV and the, the, the bios of all the other speakers in your brochure. Um, and the amazing thing about Bill is that he's still very active. He's, he's, he's uh, uh, retired from Stanford, but uh, you couldn't tell it. He's just very active and doing all sorts of things. Uh, we're delighted that you could uh, moderate the panel. Bill? Hector, thank you very much. Uh, I guess uh, staying active, the secret is just living long. If you keep living, well, you can keep doing a lot of things. So keep that in mind. That's a good secret. Uh, uh, live long. Anyway, let me uh, call up our panelists. Uh, we have a very distinguished panel. Here's Ed Feigenbaum. Uh, here's John McCarthy. Uh, here's Nels Nelson. And uh, we should have, uh, uh, here's uh, Jean Golub uh, and Don Knuth. Uh, each member of this panel has uh, done something very significant in the life of this uh, computer science department. I suppose, as Bill Daly said, uh, most of us are future-oriented. We like to look ahead, but it does once in a while uh, help us to kind of look behind and see what was happening and learn from, from things. Not to dwell in the past, but to learn from the past. Uh, I, I recall um, um, I served on the National Science Board, and I got invited to the White House uh, f uh, fairly frequently. Uh, well, not frequently, but once a year, I guess. Uh, <clears throat> uh, this is during the time when President Reagan occupied the White House, and uh, 
he would tell stories. And his stories were always rather relevant. And I remember him telling a story about early days of radio. I remember he was a uh, radio announcer in his early days. And he said that um, uh, in the early days of radio, you didn't buy a radio, you, bought a, you made a radio. That's how you got a radio, you made it yourself. And I thought, oh my God, in my later years, I'm going to tell people in my early days, I didn't buy a computer, we made them. And that's what we used to do. So let me uh, call on our panel in order to speak a few minutes, and some of them have a few slides and things to show you about some of the early days of the computer science department. And then at the end, I'm going to kind of sum up and talk about the early days of the computer forum, uh, who are the sponsors of this. So I'm going to go in alphabetical order and start with Ed Feigenbaum. Ed, you're on. Uh, thanks, Bill. Is this uh, mic working? So today, um, you, those of you in the back can't see this, but I wore my uh, computer museum core memory tie in, in honor of, uh, of our panel. I was at, actually uh, one day at MIT visiting, and Jay Forrester was giving a, an evening lecture that evening to MIT students on what was core memory. And these uh, students couldn't believe that something like that really existed. And uh, I would say that we all are the core memory of the computer science department. Uh, thanks, Ed. We really are. And, and this, these, this next hour, you'll be hearing some dumps from the core memory. Uh, so I joined on January 1st, 1965, the same day that uh, Bill Miller officially joined the department. And therefore, um, I was present at the uh, first academic council meeting. We didn't have an academic senate at the time. It was a real council. Bill will tell you about it in his remarks. I won't um, tell the story that Bill's going to tell. But uh, anyway, we were officially a department by the end of the week. And uh, I just wanted to make a few comments. This is. I only have a few minutes, so it's going to be very fast. Uh, George Forsyth. George Forsyth was a genuine and remarkable visionary with a very broad view of the shape of the emerging field of computer science. Now, the field hadn't emerged yet, so George had to en envision it. And he was a really great talent scout. If George were alive today, he'd be old but he'd be the main celebrity at this event. Stanford rarely names, rarely, rarely names a building after a person who didn't give the naming gift for the building. <laughs> but they did in the case of George Forsyth, Forsyth Hall. Now, one of the uh, example of uh, Forsyth's visionary uh, outlook and his great talent as a talent scout was uh, look how, how early George went out and hired John McCarthy. Uh, John wasn't in his field. John was in uh, a budding new thing called artificial intelligence and uh, wasn't in numerical analysis or computational mathematics or data storage or anything like that. And he hired uh, John at a, at a quite early time, way, way before the department was founded. Now, uh, Forsyth had the help of, uh, of another talent scout. Uh, and that was John McCarthy. Uh, McCarthy m noticed and helped recruit uh, a young guy from Argonne National Laboratory, Bill Miller, and a young guy across the bay at University of California, Berkeley, and that was me. Uh, 
and for that, and for all of his um, leadership and warm comradeship and great inspiration in computer science, I am and will always be really grateful to John. Forsyth had to operate the department on a shoestring of hard money, really a shoestring. We had only 50% of our salaries paid by uh, Stanford operating money. Everything else came from, from soft money, and that meant uh, either Slack, where Bill was running the Slack group, or the DOE, or NSF, or DARPA, mostly. Those, that's where the funds came from. Uh, in, the, in my first few years, John was running the Stanford Artificial Intelligence Laboratory, and I started a, a small project, originally called the Dendral Project, but later called the Heuristic Programming Project. I also took over Forsyth. Forsyth had two jobs, the new computer science department and running the computer center. So I took over the computer center job. I thought that would be fun. I'm not sure it was. <laughs> uh, but. One of the things I did was to give a really brief short course to the then provost of the university, Richard Lyman. And uh, it was a short course on computing because he was getting really baffled by all of our, largely our growth needs and our financial needs. And you know, Dick Lyman, a super smart guy and a, a next, pre he was then president of Stanford, uh, but he was a historian. So he ma made a strategic decision not to really understand computing. His decision was to appoint an associate provost for computing. And turns out that by various suggestions from various people, it turns out to be Bill Miller. So we had a, a, ver a place very high up in the corporate ladder very early on uh, for computing and computer science. I want to say a few words about what happened during my time as <coughs> department chairman, 1976 through 1981. Uh, first of all, the smartest thing that I did was to hire a, a young person named Dennis Brown, who's in the back there, to be my uh, associate chairman or assistant chairman or whatever we called him at the time, half-time, helped me run the department. And the other half-time, uh, Denny was our first uh, non-ad hoc uh, lecturer at the undergraduate level. Now, this is a way of organizing our program, our teaching program that is now very polished, very well-tuned, standard. Uh, Eric Roberts came and, and really made it a, a super operation. But it started then. We moved into Margaret Jacks Hall, and we, we remember, we, we were a sprawling department that was in eight different locations, of which the central, so-called central location, was in an Eichler building out on the fringe of the campus called Polia Hall. Uh, and the computer center was in next door in, in, in Pine Hall, where John did his first uh, time-sharing experiments and where Raj Reddy did his first speech-understanding experiments. Um, well, we were all, and the AI lab was out on Arastradero Road, and it was huge. It was a huge building, a huge laboratory, tremendous amount of equipment. So uh, we, got, we had to move it all into one building, or as Don Knuth put it at the time, move it into a sardine can. Um, and that included fitting the AI lab and its equipment in, plus fitting in Don's uh, pioneering digital printing factory into this uh, sardine can. So let me tell you the, 
aside from getting us into the building, what my one big goal was, shows you how effective a department chairman can be when he really puts his mind to it. When I came in, the average time to graduate for a PhD candidate was 5.5 years. And I had graduated in three from Carnegie Tech uh, under Herb Simon. And uh, some of my students had graduated in three, like Ted Shortliff and Doug Lennett. Uh, so uh, I decided that we really ought to go for the Stanford norm. Stanford had printed an, a norm for Stanford PhDs, which was four. So let's reduce the 5.5 to four. So we really organized the PhD program. We set up hurdles. We set up exams. You had to pass this by that time, and you had to jump through this hoop, and you started your thesis here, and you gave a thesis oral, and then blah, blah, blah. And all of that was intended <coughs> to complete in four years. And at the time I left department chairmanship in 1981, five years later, the average age, the average time in, to get a PhD in our department was 5.5 years. <laughs> um, the second goal uh, was to, in my, my view, was to reduce faculty committee work. I thought faculty committee work was, well, first of all, it was widely distracting. It was felt to be widely distracting and, um, and it was disliked. And after all, um, well, there was a department administration. What were they supposed to do? Why was the faculty off doing all this so-called committee work? So um, uh, Denny and I did succeed in doing that, and uh, we were appreciated for that. And I especially remember uh, Don Knuth coming in one day to uh, my office with words of gratitude uh, along that score, that the, uh, the, the chair, chairman's office was doing most of the committee work. Now, Stanford, I just want to tell one more story and then I'll go on to my conclusion. Stanford was a different place then, really different. And now I'm talking to our own faculty and to any administrators around. And it may be that it wasn't so different, but that we were the golden kids of the School of Humanities and Sciences. But we were treated differently then. And the, the real example is Jeff Ullman. As Within less than a week after Don and others had told me that Jeff Ullman was going to be from Princeton was going to be on the job market, we had a job offer to Jeff in less than a week. And that's kind of impossible today. Okay, final um, comment. Um, there, if you walk into uh, Gates Hall, there's a, uh, an exhibit. Uh, there's uh, wonderful historical ar artifacts. And on the first floor, there are pictures of uh, the founders, myself, Bill, John, Forsythe, Gene, uh, others. Um, and there's somebody picked out, um, one of the organizers of this, maybe Geo or Carolyn Tainai or somebody, uh, picked out a quote from me, which was from a speech that I gave around halfway th through uh, 1979 when I. Uh, I was chairman, and I, I can't rem remember the exact quote, and I should have gone over to Gates and, and written it down, but the, the gist of it was, we're excellent, but if we don't understand why we're excellent, we're not going to be able to maintain that excellence. Well, turns out, we never did understand why we were excellent, and we did maintain that excellence. So, shows you what kind of a visionary I am. Uh, uh, time after time, We've been ranked number one in, uh, in the rankings that people do of computer science departments. 
And indeed, today, the department is excellent, and it is deserving of its national acclaim. So this is a mystery. I call this a mystery. And I was explaining this, uh, discussing this mystery with John Hennessy last fall. We were at a meeting together, and we were talking about this event and uh, what he was going to say, what I was going to say. And um, this is, I'm going to paraphrase what John said. He said, yes, we hired excellent faculty, but being excellent wasn't enough for us. Our department culture was to hire people who we thought would change the world. Well, John nailed it. That really was it. For over 40 years, the faculty and our graduates changed the world of computer science, and it continues to do so today. So as we look forward to computer science department's next 40 years, I think we should look back in awe at the amazing journey that we made to today. Okay, yeah, thank you very much. <clears throat> <clears throat> Let me move ahead now to Jane Golub. Uh, Jane uh, welcomed me here when I first came to uh, Stanford. Uh, he was a, a, a distinguished mathematician. He's a real mathematician as well as a computer scientist, and he was in the mathematics department along with Forsyth and McCarthy and others when, when we first came. I was momentarily in the mathematics department. I came in December, and we formed the computer science department in January, and I figured that, that uh, one of the reasons that we formed it so quickly is because the mathematics department just couldn't stand the idea of me being in that department, and I think that moved it forward very rapidly. So Jane was there from the very beginning, and Jane, uh, let's hear some remarks from you. Oh, well, thank you. <coughs> I'll just more or less give some of the history of the numerical mass analysis mm. activity here. Actually, <coughs> numerical analysis has been around for about 50 years at Stanford. Next year, we'll celebrate the 50th anniversary. Why do I say the 50th year? Because that's when George Forsyth came to Stanford, and that's when uh, modern numerical analysis <coughs> uh, was really uh, begun here at Stanford. So. Uh, Forsyth was uh, primarily a numerical analyst, and he was interested in linear algebra, partial differential equations, the whole, the whole shebang, so to speak. And he was very influential in guiding other people in this field, too, and many of these people became highly productive. Uh, in, in my own case, uh, I attended a seminar, <clears throat> and at the end of the seminar, Forsyth said, well, why doesn't somebody figure out a way to do such and such? And I did. And uh, it led me to my work in, on the singular value uh, decomposition. But he, he always had that stimulating air about him, getting people you know, interested in various activities. <clears throat> so I came to, in 62 as a visiting assistant professor. Uh, Jack Harriet was here. And uh, <clears throat> he uh, played a, a, a role in recruiting Forsyth in 57. <clears throat> At the time of the founding of the department, of the six faculty, Three of them were numerical analysts, so 50%, but that's, of course, changed significantly. So over the years, there have been a whole group of people associated with numerical analysis, scientific computing, and they included <clears throat> uh, Joe Oliger, who recently died, Rob Schreiber, who's here in the audience, uh, Andrew Stewart, and Ron Fetko. About 130 students have received PhDs in numerical analysis and scientific computing. <clears throat> And uh, many of these students are in the academic world, but some of them are also in, in the industrial world. Uh, <clears throat> with the direction, uh, with, uh, with time, the direction of the NA group 
change from pure numerical analysis into more scientific computing and applied mathematics. Uh, uh, and in, in recent times, the uh, activity has metamorphosed into a, a broader program called computational and engineering mathematics. We take great pride in, in the students we've produced in, in, uh, from our numerical analysis group. So for instance, uh, two of our, <coughs> of our former students, uh, including one that you'll hear in a while, are members of the National Academy of Science, and three are members of the National Academy of Engineering. One is a fellow of the Royal Society, and several others are members of the foreign uh, honorary societies. <coughs> so, uh, and a particular uh, uh, organization that's close to my own heart is SIAM, the Society of Industrial and Applied Mathematics, and uh, you might be amused to know that uh, in recent times, three of its presidents have all come from our group. And the, the most recent, uh, or the president-elect, I should say, is Cleve Moeller. Again, Margaret Wright was also a president of uh, SIAM. It, it, it's uh, amusing how, how many people have been active in SIAM. For instance, uh, the, the recent board of trustees, over half of the members of the board of trustees were, were from Stanford, from our activity, and they were sort of embarrassed by it, so I think they've tried to change things a bit. <laughs> uh, and elect show that other organizations are important. <clears throat> so uh, when the department was formed in 1966, one of the courses required was an advanced numerical analysis uh, course. And at least one student who sat in my course for just a little while said, if this is what he has to do, he's not going for a PhD. He has subsequently uh, established a very good career. <coughs> but but uh, uh, there, one of the best students, of course, in the class was Raj Reddy, who's uh, still here. And uh, we'll hear from him later, too. Um, uh, another person I'd like to mention is Cleve Moeller. He, was, he's the, uh, he actually developed the beta uh, version of MATLAB here at Stanford. And uh, as a result of his course, uh, uh, three new companies were formed, including uh, MathWorks. I sometimes call myself the bastard father of MathWorks because I was on sabbatical and that allowed Cleve to teach that course. So numerical, numerical computing is pervasive across the, the School of Engineering and elsewhere within the, the university. And uh, uh, in, within the computer science itself, although uh, the activity itself is uh, less known, within other areas there is more and more numerical computing, whether it's robotics or uh, studies of, uh, of, um, uh, of machine learning etc. There's lots of, uh, lots of linear algebra, my own specialty, and uh, increasingly I think we're going to see uh, the use of numerical mathematics. So um, this is an area which has played an important role in, in, uh, in computing within the last 40 years, and it's going to be here, I'm sure, in the next 40 years. So that's uh, uh, methods we, we discard uh, disappear, but they come back. Why? Well, there are new computing environments. Parallel computing sort of brought about a whole interest in methods that had been, uh, 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 been uh, ignored for, for about 40 years. So uh, there's, uh, it's a changing story. New scientific problems come up. New computing environments develop. So there's always something new on the horizon 
in scientific computing and numerical analysis. So thank you. Okay, Jane, thank you. <laughs> So next in order, we have Don Knuth. Uh, Don uh, came a little bit later in the department, but uh, everybody knows of his uh, work in the art of computer programming. And Don, uh, we'd like a few words from you. Oh, you're still working on it. Well, okay. We'll, we'll, Don, we'll just skip over you. We'll come right back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's move ahead then to John McCarthy. John. Uh, John uh, helped recruit me to Stanford, as, uh, as uh, uh, Ed uh, had pointed out earlier, and I'm eternally grateful for him for that. Uh, but I'll tell you a little bit more about that later when I have an opportunity. So, John, uh, you're on. Uh, okay, being the oldest one, except, except for Bill himself, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm entitled to be grumpy, uh, and I shall. Um, okay, um, first of all, uh, I remember how I recruited Bill. Uh, he invited me to Argonne uh, uh, to give a talk, and while I was there, I asked him about uh, a couple of candidates for the director of computing for Slack, and uh, somehow, um, and at the end of that, it occurred to me to say, uh, perhaps you might be interested in this job yourself. <laughs> yes, you did. Um, and um, uh, that worked out fine. Now, uh, first of all, a remark about Forsyth um, and his goal. Um, he, 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 he was uh, abetted, or maybe a, a, by the provost at the time, Al Bowker, who was the successor to the more famous provost, Fred Terman. And he, he was very definite that he thought that there was going to be a computer science and that it was not going to be centered in numerical analysis, which was his own field. Uh, and uh, uh, that's why he hired me and uh, Ed and uh, uh, other people who were not centered in uh, numerical analysis. And of course, uh, that has indeed turned out to be true, that uh, uh, numerical analysis is, uh, is one part of computer science, but uh, not the whole of it. And this was a, a, a really a way in which uh, uh, Bowker and uh, Forsyth uh, pioneered. Uh, now, I want to mention a little bit about the uh, computing environment. Uh, Bill said that this was the first time-sharing system, and it was actually the second time-sharing system that I'd worked on. Uh, but um, uh, Digital Equipment Corporation uh, gave me a PDP-1 computer, a sort of stripped-down PDP-1, well, not, not stripped-down, the basic PDP-1 computer. And uh, then um, uh, uh, there was a, a collaboration with Pat Soupies, who became interested in using um, computers uh, uh, for teaching. And uh, this with, a, with his aid, we were enabled to get a grant to build uh, a big time sharing system on the PDP-1. 
Now, uh, I think it's worthwhile mentioning what the characteristics of this machine were. Um, any individual user had 4,018-bit words uh, to use. Uh, now, uh, one of the things that was accomplished with these 4,018-bit words was uh, Raj Reddy's PhD thesis, uh, which could recognize vowels uh, uh, within this uh, memory. And the thing was pretty slick as far as it worked because it could swap out one user and bring in another user in 30 milliseconds, uh, which um, was uh, very good for that time and might even be pretty good for this time because, well, this time the users are, tend to be a, quite a bit fatter. Um, now, I should mention time-sharing because there are a lot of people uh, don't know the basic idea, although all the concurrent PCs are time-shared. Uh, the basic idea was that you could have one computer used by a large number of people and the computer would uh, cycle its attentions uh, among them. Don't have time to say any more about that. Uh, there was this uh, article in the Chronicle and it had this uh, as I understand it, it had this picture taken from the department showing me sitting in front of a computer with a uh, chessboard. And that was associated with our match um, uh, with the Soviets, which we had in 65 and 66. And uh, we sent the moves back and forth by uh, telegram. And um, the match took about a year. Um, they had two versions of their program and their better one uh, was considerably better than uh, our program, which was actually one that had been uh, done by um, uh, some MIT undergraduates um, uh, who, who took it over from me when I started it and then they took it over. Um, and then uh, Jim Stein ran it at Stanford. Let's see. Um, now, one of the things that this uh, Chronicle thing uh, said was that um, the, uh, somehow the essence of computer science faculty was starting companies, or at least that that was very important. And uh, I have a somewhat negative view of this. I haven't started any companies. Uh, and uh, once BBN said they'd start a timesharing company if I'd agree to be president of it, and I decided that I'd rather work on artificial intelligence than be, um, but in any case, it's my opinion that um, uh, there's considerable competition in terms between doing research, uh, doing basic research, and uh, running a company. Well, I don't expect to convince anybody because um, uh, things have uh, uh, gone differently from that. Uh, now, uh, I should mention the Artificial Intelligence Laboratory and uh, kind of a key thing that we had to do in order to get a decent computer was to do, promise to do 
uh, robotics, and we were uh, in the lead on that, I'd say. We had a television camera reading, uh, running directly into the computer, and um, we had uh, an arm, which was designed at Stanford by mechanical engineering student Vic Scheinman. Uh, and then we had a cart that uh, was radio controlled from this time-shared computer and uh, ran around the um, outside of the laboratory that was done by Hans Moravec, who went on to CMU. Uh, we also did something quite different, uh, started in on uh, interactive theorem proving, uh, particularly with the goal of proving programs correct. And it's still my opinion that nobody should really pay money for a computer, for, sorry, for a program, uh, or publish a paper uh, that depends on uh, computing unless the program in question has been proved to meet its specifications. And, uh, well, I still think this is a good thing uh, almost 40 years before I, uh, after, 40 years after I advanced this slogan. Uh, all right, I'll mention one final thing that uh, was an issue um, and that was an academic freedom issue, uh, which, um, concerned uh, news groups and uh, the, an effort to um, censor uh, news groups. I don't know whether you were involved in that at all, Bill. Um, I don't think you were. I don't remember it. Um, oh, okay. Um, uh, and uh, we say, uh, the computer science department passed a resolution saying that we weren't going to censor the news group in question, and uh, e eventually uh, we won the point with the university. The amusing thing was that the news group was not one that was one of the most offensive. It was uh, rather, it, it, compared to alt.sex.bestiality, uh, which was not noticed uh, by the, uh, by the censors, this was a rather modest uh, news group of jokes. Uh, but anyway, we, we did win that, uh, that issue. Uh, we did the, the resolution that the computer science department passed um, was that a, a faculty member or student's web page uh, was uh, his own property, as it were, uh, and not the property of the university. And uh, Stanford adopted that, uh, but uh, some other uh, schools, at least in the early days, had uh, taken the position that, oh, if it was on a, a university computer, then uh, its content must be controlled. Uh, uh, okay, that's all I want to say. Okay, John, uh, thank you very much. <clears throat> you know, John, if, uh, we, uh, if you were to uh, wave your magic wand and uh, 
create the rule that uh, mm -hmm. all programs had to be proven correct before they could be uh, uh, sold, uh, it would stop most of our commercial sale of, uh, of software. <laughs> I, think of the, I can't think of any uh, companies that would survive under that rule. Uh, you might have to go out and start a company to just prove that things are correct. Well, there are companies that are involved in proving things correct, and uh, certainly uh, even today, uh, that could not be the, that idea could not be achieved by fiat. <laughs> uh, it would have to. Uh, uh, one would uh, now the area in which. Uh, Proving things correct has, um, uh, by computer, has had the most uh, effect is in hardware. Uh, so that uh, microprocessors have been uh, proved correct uh, because uh, uh, there was this famous bug in the Pentium bug on the floating point that cost Intel a very large amount of money and uh, which uh, uh, might have been, uh, which would have been obviated by the techniques that uh, subsequently came into use. Probably they were even available at the time for proving that programs meet that, that hardware met its specifications. Okay, well, uh, thank you. Now let's move ahead to, uh, I, I understand we've got this uh, show and tell here that uh, Don is going to use. So uh, Don Knuth, uh, you're on next. Zero one zero one. Hi, here we go. Okay, hi. Yeah, I, I thought I'd say a little bit about uh, what we used to teach in our department. Um, w the most fun thing that I had was to teach a, uh, a course that was originally called 204 and later 304, uh, the, uh, the problem seminar. Uh, and uh, can I ask how many people in the audience uh, uh, are alumni of that class? Yeah. Okay. So you know, so a few of you know what I'm talking about. This was, a, this was a course that was, uh, it was started by George Forsyth, uh, actually continuing a tradition that George Polio had in the math department at Stanford. And then uh, Bob Floyd uh, uh, taught it before I, before I did. And then, uh, uh, then Bob and I would alternate um, every, every other year. Um, uh, and and, and I, oh, Bob Tarjan uh, taught it a couple times, Andy Yao. Um, but I, I would try to teach it every two years. The, the, the idea of the course was introduction to research. And, and uh, so almost all of the, 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 the first year graduate students uh, would, would take this as, as one of their first classes. Because you know, you, you, uh, uh, you work through the college system and, and, you, and you pass exams and then you get to graduate school and all of a sudden you're supposed to do something original. And so this was a good in introduction to how to do that and also with, with teamwork. Uh, we, we paired the students up or, or made, made groups of three, sometimes four, uh, working on problems that were mini research problems. Uh, in, the, in each quarter of 10 weeks, we would do five of these research problems, two weeks on each problem. And uh, the, the idea um, 
was then to have problems that hadn't been solved before, but still might be solvable in two weeks. It's not easy to think of such problems. <laughs> and that's why I, I didn't teach it every year. Uh, 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 it, but it, you know, I, I could come up with about two and a half such problems every year and, and then write them down and then, and then throw them in. And so and also the other people who, who taught it. So these, uh, the, the times I taught it, uh, uh, my, my TAs made a nice, uh, my, my TAs made a nice re, uh, report, and these these reports you can get online now, um, showing the the transcripts of all the, of all the sessions that we had, um, and uh, in the uh, 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 I, I know you people out over there can't possibly read this, uh, so I'll, I'll I'll read this uh, some of these two things to you, but the people on this side can see <laughs> some of the, uh, you know, just as excerpts of the, of the, uh, uh, the different problems that, 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 we, that we did over the years. Uh, now, at, when I taught this course, my idea was that I, I would act as if the students weren't <coughs> taking any other classes at Stanford. I, 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 you know, I would, try to, I would try to make it so that, uh, uh, you know, it was almost 24-7 on this class, and if you had to take another class or some some comprehensive exams or whatever uh, that was you know you had to figure out how to fit that in too but um, uh, you know but uh, the, uh, the enough people came back to me afterwards and said that they actually got something out of this that I think it was worth worth having to set it to it so the uh, um, okay you can't re read this but uh, uh, the first year we, we did map drawing uh, we, we studied Numbers in natural language. We found the the alphabetically largest prime number in the English language, for example. Um, efficient one-sided list access, network design, uh, code generation. We had image cleanup, uh, uh, data flow computation, Kriegspiel endgames, grid layouts, uh, unrounding a sequence. Uh, you know, you have you have points. Uh, that have been rounded, and you try to figure out what was the simplest formula that would have led to those points. Uh, archival files; uh, these are these are files where you can undo things. Uh, we, we studied a two by two by two Rubik's, Rubik's cube. We answered answered uh, questions in natural languages. We studied fractal maps. Uh, uh, we did we did planar layout of stuff. We did dynamic Huffman coding, garbage collection. Uh, uh, and and uh, so on. We had uh, uh, we had things based on figuring out the configuration of wheels in Las Vegas, uh, roulette wheels. Uh, the last time I taught it uh, was in 1989, and we had uh, uh, a uh, the, the last one was was a study of ants and, and and simulating ants. Okay, and also at the, in, in, in the last years, uh, we had fun uh, with with the trivia hunt, and this was a, this was an idea that everybody should learn how to, uh, also to do research in libraries and and, and find facts around here. So, uh, 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 people uh, uh, you know who are interested, I can show you these these trivia hunt questions. But uh, 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 for example, the first question was, who taught this course in 1971? In what room did it meet? What color are the walls and doors of that room painted now? And, uh, and okay, then it says, uh, uh, well, number four, what was the title of John McCarthy's PhD thesis? How many pages long was it? Okay. 
And no, you couldn't Google it in those days. When, when, did, Gene when did Gene Golub celebrate his 13th birthday? Uh, I, I mean, you know, Gene was born on February 29th, so this is a very interesting question. Um, <laughs> uh, so, okay, so, um, uh, we, you know, so, so uh, now I want to show you something that's even more fun on, on, on the other computer over here. Uh, okay, so let me see if we can, if we can get this on the screen. Um, I'm not a real good at using Windows, uh, but uh, if I say escape, maybe? Yeah, okay, that worked. Wow, that was good. Okay, um, I want to show you how, how you can all uh, uh, see, because we got, uh, we got more than, I think we got at least 20 uh, of these sessions are recorded on the internet and you can play them uh, with, uh, with the uh, media player. And so I want to show everybody, can, uh, can we get that up on the, aha, uh, uh -huh. okay. So you, so you start out your browser. Um, let's see, where am I, okay. And then, uh, and then you, uh, you, you, you go to Google and you say Don. And then. <laughs> <laughs> you, see, you see the advantage of being a computer science professor. <laughs> okay, then you go over to, to computer musings, which is which is the uh, a, a collection of, of a whole bunch of lectures that I've given over the years, and then you say viewable from their website. Okay, and that gives you a, a chance to see uh, quite a lot of of, of excerpts of, of Stanford lectures, and uh, if you go into um, what's called the AHA sessions, 1985. This is this is from this is a, uh, when uh, when our class met in, uh, in 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 the TV room in the communications department. Are, are there any alumni of that year here? Because you're all, uh, you know, I don't know if you got, gave official permission, but your images are all on the, on the web now. And, uh, and so then you can, you know, you know, I can click on this and, and we can, and you can start to watch. Uh, this was the second, uh, the, the second day of class. And uh, I thought I clicked on it. Hmm, okay, loading lecture. Okay, so uh, you can watch the, and we call it the aha sessions because here we're, we're doing online problem solving and a lot of times uh, uh, we're, uh, people are discovering things, uh, you know, on camera as we're, as we're, look, as we're trying to work on a problem. Um, and uh, I'm, this is, a, these are slides. I'm sorry, I should have tried to, tried to get this thing going. How do we, how do we get it? Play, please, pause, play. Okay. There's uh, is it downloading? I don't know. Well, uh, it it worked on the Macintosh. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure it would work on your on your machine too. And and the uh, the second problem that year was especially interesting because we were we, we were breaking the Unix crypt command. Uh, and and, uh, and each team had to, had to make their own way to to take a, a text where the, we only had 256 bytes of text, and uh, and uh, we videotaped each each group as they were solving the as they were solving the cryptogram or not solving it, uh, uh, and and seeing who, who who's who's little software for breaking 
for breaking the code uh, would uh, would work best. And and and. Uh, and then we boiled down five hours of videotape to the, to the key moments when people were making breakthroughs. So anyway, it's a, it, I think it's a lot of fun to watch these sessions. So uh, uh, it, 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 it might be good uh, if we could resurrect this course again one of these days uh, uh, in, in the department. Thanks a lot. Uh, Nels was at SRI when I went to SRI International, and uh, we had a visitor, and I was being asked uh, the question, uh, how many people do you have working under you? And I said, well, we have 3,500 people working out from under me. Uh, uh, Nels is a perfect example of that. Uh, uh, he was then the head of the Artificial Intelligence Center, and he worked out from under me by coming over here to... Uh, uh, to Stanford and became the chairman of the computer science department. So Nels, you have a few stories for us. Thank you. I joined Stanford in 1985. Uh, we can blame Don Knuth for that because Don was in charge of the search committee, I believe. Anyway, in 1985, you might uh, look at that, that was 20 years after the computer science department was formed and about uh, 20 years ago. So it was sort of a midway point in the department and I think in a, way, uh, in a way I didn't understand at the time, a sort of a watershed year. Uh, let me explain a little bit about why. Uh, prior to 1985, uh, the department, as people have mentioned already, was in the School of Humanities and Sciences. It uh, was strong in several areas, uh, algorithms, artificial intelligence, uh, scientific computing, numerical analysis, databases. And its strength was in producing graduates with PhD and uh, master's degrees besides research that it did. But after 1985, uh, the department relocated to the School of Engineering, uh, stayed strong, uh, grew actually in strength, and changed into the much larger department uh, that it is today. Uh, but there were some interesting things that happened that I didn't quite know about when uh, I was talked into joining Stanford. Um, and first, there were some uh, tensions and problems that uh, were around. First, the relations between the computer science department and the computer people in the electrical engineering department uh, were anything but harmonious at the time. Um, one faculty member, an EE faculty member, uh, emailed me in November 24th, 1985, 1984, just before I joined the department, that uh, he thought the situation was a civil war. Well, maybe that was overstating it a bit. Uh, there was pressure at that time also from the provost and from others outside the department to develop some sort of undergraduate major. Uh, we didn't have one at the time. We were focused on uh, graduate work and research. And the department didn't particularly want to do this. Uh, the other point is that some visiting committees that we had had in the past had pointed out that the department was weak in the area that we now call systems, probably called systems then. Uh, the department, as Ed pointed out, was uh, severely overcrowded, even in this sardine can of um, Margaret Jacks Hall, and uh, had these locations there in the main quad and still in several satellite spaces. So before formally joining Stanford, I had the opportunity to talk to several people, especially uh, the uh, then just appointed new dean of engineering, uh, Jim Gibbons. Uh, 
And uh, I'd like to say now that I think without Jim's far-sighted leadership, uh, the department after 1985 would be uh, much different and probably less successful than it is today. In any case, in October of 1984, uh, Jim appointed a committee, and it was chaired by a mechanical engineering professor, Bill Reynolds, who since passed away. Uh, Jim wanted him to help design a new undergra undergraduate interdisciplinary major in what Jim called computer science and engineering. Uh, Provost at the time, Jim Ross, had promised him some extra faculty positions to help staff this new major. And even before I uh, joined Stanford, I was invited to attend several meetings of this committee. Well, Jeff Ullman was also on the committee and played a very important role. He and I objected right from the start uh, that the whole idea of there being an interdisciplinary computer science major. After all, computer science is a discipline. It's not interdisciplinary. Uh, so anyway, we were a little bit upset about that. But at the same time, in countering to, to that, I mean, we thought this major should be located, if it happened at all, inside the department. Counter to that, there were some people in the School of Engineering strongly opposed uh, to the major being housed in the computer science department. So it was apparent to Jeff and me, at least, that uh, if there was going to be a new major, uh, and there certainly was going to be a major of some sort, uh, it ought to be located within the CS department, and in order to do that, the CS department would have to move uh, to the School of Engineering from humanities and sciences. Uh, otherwise, if we didn't do it, uh, we wouldn't have an under, uh, undergraduate major in the department, and, but there would be some interdisciplinary major in the uh, school. Uh, so soon after coming to Stanford as chair, I was able to resurrect a, an email that I sent out. Uh, let me read what I think is an important paragraph. I said, I am very concerned about what might happen to us if we do not move to the engineering school. Specifically, I see a distinct possibility of, these being two, of there being two computer science departments at Stanford. There's no way that the Stanford School of Engineering will not make computer engineering or something like it an important part of the undergraduate and graduate program. Top-ranked engineering schools must do this, and Stanford is not going to lose its high ranking in engineering by overlooking something as important to its future as computer science. So given the department's historic and rather happy location in the School of Humanities and Sciences and its reluctance to offer an undergraduate major, uh, Jim Gibbons and I knew that any move forward in that matter would be a pretty much of a hard sell. Uh, but a breakthrough came. And the breakthrough was really when Don Knuth, uh, whose opinions were and still are highly regarded in the department, came to the conclusion that uh, we ought to move to the School of Engineering and that such a move would facilitate the formation of an undergraduate CS major. So in a letter that uh, Don wrote to Jim Ross about all of this, he proposed that the computer systems laboratory, which was mainly part of electrical engineering, uh, be included in an expanded CS department, and that that department moved to the School of Engineering. Well, to shorten a long story, a compromise was worked out in which the computer systems laboratory was going to be part of both the computer science department and the electrical engineering department. You say, how can in an organization chart you have an organization reporting to two bosses? And the answer at Stanford is, well, nobody's really the boss, so it worked out just fine. Uh, the agreement also uh, involved having the faculty in the computer systems lab, or 
in computer science for that matter, free to move formally uh, uh, between either department or stay in one department for a while, go to another department, and that worked out just fine. And uh, our faculty approved this arrangement, and uh, we did move into the School of Engineering um, on September 1st, 1985. And an undergraduate major uh, located in the CS department and called uh, major in computer science uh, was launched in September 1986, and as has already been mentioned, under the leadership of Eric Roberts, uh, it developed into one of the best in the world, which it is today. And after this move, the department was able to add faculty in systems, theory, robotics, and relations between the computer systems lab and computer science uh, became harmonious, even friendly. Around this time, something very important happened to Stanford. Uh, electrical engineering faculty member John Hennessy, returning from his leave to help start the MIPS Computer Systems Company, decided that the new and improved arrangement was to his liking. So the rest is history. Um, our growth made overcrowding even worse, and so we were finally given approval to make a, for a plan for a new building in the proposed near West Campus. And a planning committees were formed and fundraising and all the rest began. Uh, with Jim Gibbons leading the charge. Uh, and funds from American companies, Japanese companies, were, uh, and, and equipment donations uh, helped out. Additional funds were provided both by the university and the uh, Stanford Engineering Venture Fund, which uh, Jim Gibbons helped initiate. And of course, the all-important naming gift was uh, done by, given by Bill Gates, and we moved into the new building in 1995. It was my privilege uh, during this time to be its chair and to remain as a faculty member, now anonymous, at Stanford. But I'd like to close with just a guess as to why we have been and continue to be a great department. Uh, actually, I think it's because of what you might call a virtuous cycle. Um, you know, people who are already pretty good tend to have a good chance at staying good, and we didn't do too many bad things. And so, because we were good, excellent students came to us. We didn't harm them too much while they were here, and they came out and did great things in the world. Because we have excellent students, it was very not all that hard to get excellent faculty. And uh, what I hope is that uh, that virtuous cycle will just continue and uh, perpetuate itself. Thanks. Okay, Nels, thank you. <laughs> Well, as a moderator, I have the privilege of making a few comments myself. And as you've heard from both Ed and John, John was the person who first interested me and asked me if I'd be interested in coming to Stanford. I was then at the Argonne National Laboratory where I was doing computational science. I was doing laboratory automation. I was doing pattern recognition for cloud chambers for particle physics. And, and so it turned out that they there was going to be a joint appointment between the physics faculty at, at the Stanford Linear Accelerator Center and the computer science department. And uh, that's what John asked me if I'd be interested in, in uh, taking up that position. Uh, you notice in the, uh, in the brief biography, it says that uh, I was the last uh, faculty member recruited by Fred Terman. Well, that's in there because he made that claim himself. Uh, uh, because I was between two departments, between the faculty at the SLAC and the computer science faculty, and the provost got involved in, in the recruiting. 
And uh, Fred spent a few sessions with me explaining to me how you had to be a professor when you came to Stanford. Uh, uh, he was very concerned that I would not get totally absorbed by the work at uh, Slack and that I would do my part in, in the computer science department. He also said, uh, if you come, we'll start the new department. Now, he probably said that to Ed, and he probably said that to several other people, I'm sure, uh, but that, that was an attractive thing. He explained to me that he had been tracking uh, all the uh, professors at Stanford in terms of the number of PhD students that they had uh, advised and, and, and turned out, as he put it. And the average is one per year. So he said, if you, you, if you beat that average, you'll be doing pretty well if you can turn out more than one per year. Uh, and of course, there are some people, obviously, who are below that average. But, but he kept track of that. He had great notebooks on that. He once offered me these notebooks, but I decided I didn't want to follow that tracking anymore. But um, uh, he, uh, so in the 10 years that I was active uh, advising uh, graduate students, I turned out I had uh, uh, 13. So I beat his average a little bit, and I mentioned that to him a little bit later. He thought that was uh, pretty good. But uh, uh, after I became provost, Fred would call me over and tell me how to be a provost. I mean, he had been a superb provost, and I had a lot to learn from Fred, but he was always giving me advice on how I should do this, and in a very nice way. I mean, he wasn't too authoritarian about it, but he was uh, very nice about it. But uh, we were having a little dinner party for him one time, and he said, uh, well, Bill was the last faculty member that uh, I recruited to Stanford. So he, he, claimed, he made that claim, so that's why it's in that uh, biography. Uh, Ed mentioned the, uh, when the department was formed in January of 1965, uh, the academic council meeting where this was done. And that council meeting left a deep impression on me. Uh, we were sitting over in the old physics tank, which is now gone, and uh, the door opened, and uh, Wally Sterling, who was then president, walked in, and everybody stood up. I thought, my God, I mean, they stood up for the president of the university. I thought, that's terrific. Now, that's the last time I ever saw anybody stand up for the president of the university. <laughs> and I have a suggestion here. When we introduced uh, John Hennessy at 5 o'clock to give the, uh, the closing remarks, you should all stand up. <laughs> He'll be shocked. I mean, he's never seen that happen before. He'll be totally shocked. It may keep him so shocked he won't be able to give these closing remarks. Um, anyway, uh, there are more stories about that uh, particular meeting, and we, uh, Hector's telling me we don't have time for that. But I do want to say something about the beginning of the computer forum, which has been an important part of the life of, the, of this department. Uh, in, uh, in, 1967, uh, a man named uh, Frank Newman came to see me. Frank Newman was in the development office of the university. He had been a vice president at Beckman Instruments, came to development. Frank later became uh, head of the Carney Commission on Education, and, and uh, after that, he was the president of Rhode Island University. But Frank said, uh, Bill, why don't we start an, uh, an industrial affiliates program in computer science. Well, I didn't know what an industrial affiliates program was, so uh, Frank sat down and explained to me what an industrial affiliates program was. He said, you go and recruit some uh, companies, they contribute money, they come and, and uh, learn what's going on in the school and the, in the department, uh, uh, get the, introduce themselves to the faculty and the graduate students and, and so forth. So I said, fine, uh, that sounds like a good idea. I talked to Art Samuel and uh, Ed McCluskey, and so we became the three founders, if you like. Everybody likes to think of themselves as founders these days. 
of, of the computer forum. So after going through this description, I asked Frank, uh, I said, well, Frank, will the university let me do this? And he said, Bill, the university won't help you, but they won't stop you. And I thought, wow, now therein is a great principle of academic administration. Uh, keep that in mind, folks. I mean, it'll serve you well. Uh, go over the plan. It's especially helpful if the plan doesn't require any resources, if it doesn't require money, or even it's even better if it makes a little bit of money. And it's especially helpful if it doesn't require a lot of, of, of uh, space. And uh, the university will let you do it. A good plan, uh, and a faculty who want to do it, and they'll let you do it. They won't stop you. Uh, they won't help you, but they won't stop you. So there, there's some good... Uh, academic administration and that principle. I learned something from Frank Newman I haven't forgotten. Um, the name of the computer forum originated from the idea that we wanted it to be an outreach program. There are going to be three parts to it. There would be the teaching, the research of the, of the faculty and students, but there would also be uh, an outreach program, the interaction with industry itself. And it was supposed to be a two-way interaction. That's why we called it the forum. It wasn't just something where we were going to tell industry what we were doing, but uh, the industry people would speak to us and comment and critique what we were doing and uh, talk about the various things that they would do. So that was the idea of the forum, and that idea carried through to other parts of the university. There are several forums around, four, I guess you would say, around the university now that have that same character, where there's an outreach to industry or to the people outside the institution as well as people inside the institution. So that's the origin of the, of the computer forum. Uh, I think Hector is giving me a strong signal here that uh, we're supposed to close uh, this session. Uh, do we have any time for the audience or is the time over? We're out of time. Okay, well thank you all for your attention to this. Uh, looking back was a little help. Uh, thank you very much, Bill, and uh, the rest of the panelists. You're all supposed to leave now? Yes, yes, you can, you can leave. Um, three announcements. One, if you notice in your, in your book, there is a history tab that is a timeline of the department for all of our alums and friends. You should go through it and please see if there's anything missing. This is a community effort. Uh, I think Nils has been coordinating it, but it's gotten input from a lot of us. Uh, and there'll be a book, there is a book outside if you see something missing, please let us know and, and write it down in the book so that we can update our timeline. Uh, second announcement, uh, there is wireless access for those of you who need an internet fix. Uh, instructions are available at the desk uh, on how to uh, connect. And third announcement, we'll restart in half an hour at 10.15 promptly for our second session. Thank you. I, I didn't know you were still here. <laughs>
The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.